Welcome to the Reed Brown Show. Grab your Bibles and follow along as we expound on the Scriptures, study the Word, and have meaningful conversations designed to draw us closer to the Father. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Reed Brown Show. What we're going to be doing this evening is going back over a lesson that I preached this morning from Hebrews chapter 10. This lesson is Exhortations, Warnings, and Encouragements. Exhortations, Warnings, and Encouragements. As I noted earlier with this show, what I do want to be able to do is to re-record my lessons from Sunday morning and present those as uh, content here on the show for a Monday morning commute or Monday morning start. And then uh, we'll get into some other specific studies just for the show itself. Probably going to start in Galatians is where I'm figuring. And then we'll have some interviews with some other people, uh, some other preachers on and talk about various things that are facing the church today. And uh, some things that preachers themselves might face. So our lesson this morning, coming from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through verse 39. We start out with exhortations. Hebrews chapter 10 is a very well familiar passage to us. We are familiar with passages such as Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14 that talks about the ministering spirits. We're familiar with passages like chapter 2 and verse 1 that tells us we need to pay much closer attention to the things that have been delivered. And then after that, it kind of gets fuzzy for us. um, So when we get into Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, especially down here, at uh, verse 24, let us consider one another, just provoke unto love and good works. Then we have uh, verse 25, telling us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. We're familiar with such passages as uh, going on and sinning deliberately, uh, spurning the Son of God, counting the blood of the covenant wherewith we are sanctified to be an unholy thing, profaning that blood, outraging the spirit of grace, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And perhaps even verse 39, that we're not of those that shrink back and are destroyed, but of those that have faith and preserve their souls. So there's several well-familiar passages in here. And uh, each one of those things we've just looked at kind of fits the topic that we're going to look at in this lesson, which is exhortations, warnings, and encouragements. So to begin with, we have a exhortation. The appeal to hold fast to the privileges of the gospel. And this starts at verse 19 and is going to run us down to verse 22. So let's go ahead and read those passages there. Now, if you hear a little bit of noise on this, it's uh, me working my Bible. I'm reading this directly out of my English Standard Version. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We can now enter into the holiest of holies through Jesus Christ." The point of this book of Hebrews, whoever the writer is, he does seem to be trying to convince Jews not to return to Judaism, to stay faithful to Christianity. So this is almost blasphemous. This is ludicrous. This is ridiculous that somebody would suggest that we, as just regular individual people, could go into the Holy of Holies. You know, that's that's the high priest duty, and only one time a year is he able to do that. This is insane that somebody would suggest that somebody would be able to go into that 
place into the presence of God where the Spirit of God sits upon the mercy seat. It's blasphemous that somebody would suggest that just regular individuals are able to go into the Holy of Holies. But yet, through Jesus Christ, we can now enter into those things, enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, he says, by the new and living way, that is, through the curtain, through his flesh. So, we have this great privilege, not a right, but a privilege to be able to go before the mercy seat of God. You know, it might remind us of Esther, how Esther is going in before King Ahasuerus to say, to uh, to invite him to her feast, but she's going in uninvited. And to go in uninvited, if the king's pleasure is turned against you, if he does not extend that scepter, she would be... Sh- struck down immediately put to death immediately his even his queen could not come before him without the proper invitation we as christians need no invitation to come before god to come into the presence of god we have that privilege but then he also says that we can draw near to god with full assurance we don't have to be hesitating. We don't have to have any doubt. We don't have to have any wavering. We don't have to have any worry. Full assurance of faith, he says. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. How are we able to come before the throne of God? How are we able to enter into that holy of holies? How are we able to enter into that holiest place with full assurance of faith? In the same way that the high priest used to be able to do that. You know, the high priest used to be able to enter in one time a year to make sacrifices for the sins of the people, but he had purified himself. Now we are able to come before God having purified ourselves, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure <clears throat> with um, excuse me, with pure water. We are able to come before God because we have purified ourselves. Notice this is nothing new for the Jews. If we see that I the, the temple around and we look around it and we see those pools that are spaced all the way around the temple we look at like an aerial view of what the temple would have looked like we see these baptismal pools and the steps that lead down into these pools are divided you go down on one side unclean you wash yourself in that pool and then you come up on the other side ceremonially clean ready to go into the temple of god to worship god we as christians must cleanse ourselves before we come into the presence of God. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 21 tells us that baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. An appeal to God for a good conscience. You know, this is not a, uh, this is not a work that is going to merit our salvation. This is not This is not salvation by works. 
But this is simply just a straight-up obedience to the plan that God has put into place. An appeal to God for a good conscience. We have cleansed ourselves, our hearts having been cleansed, and our bodies washed in pure water. So we have this appeal to hold to the privileges of the gospel. But then we have this appeal to keep our faith, which is also described as hope here. Look at verse 23 down to verse 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. An appeal to keep our faith. He who promised is faithful. We have this faithfulness from God that is supposed to inspire us. It's supposed to allow us to, you know, why, why should I hold fast to my faith? Why should I hold fast when I'm going to endure such hostility against myself? Why should I hold fast? Why should I, um, why should I go through these things? Well, because he is faithful without faith. It is impossible to please him for you, God, who, For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. Jesus says that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and I will receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. If it were not so... I would have told you. That's Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, that first verse there, and then John chapter 14, 1 through 3, that second passage that we just quoted. The faithfulness of God is supposed to inspire us to hold fast to our faith. Holding fast without wavering, for he who promised with faithful is faithful. And he says, to let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. When is the last time that we have considered how we can stir one another up? When is the last time that we thought about our brother or sister in Christ? When we can truly say, I thought about this, and I thought, what do I have that I might be able to give you? What do I have that I might be able to lighten your burden What experiences have I been through that I might be able to share some comfort with you? I considered what you were going through, and I prayed for you today. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. Most of the time when we think about one another, it's in a gossipy way, isn't it? Oh, can you believe what he said? Oh, can you believe what she did? Oh my goodness, can you believe the mess that they got themselves into? And on and on and on. We hear the least little bit of news and we got to start making the phone calls. You know what I'm saying? Well, when's the last time that we considered, rather than spreading that news around somebody else, when's the last time we considered picking up that phone and calling that individual and saying, Hey, I just needed to talk to you. I heard this. And I just wanted to know what I could do. I want you to know that I prayed for you. I want. I, I just wanted to know what I can do to help you. What can I? What can I give you? What can I do for you? What can I say? What can I do? Do we? Need, can we study? Can we pray together? What can I do? 
How can I stir you up to love and to good works? Why is this so important? Sorry, I bumped my cord there. Why is this so important that we do these things? Not forsaking to meet together as the habit of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, scholars are kind of divided upon this here. What day are we talking about? Are we talking about the day of the Lord? Which the day of the Lord is the day that he was resurrected, the first day of the week, the day that we meet upon to, to worship God. Is he talking about some day that's coming? Uh, as in maybe the uh, the destruction of Jerusalem? <clears throat> A day when the faith of the Christians, maybe that is the destruction of Jerusalem, but, uh, but some other time when uh, the faith of the Christians might struggle? What day is he talking about here? I think it's generally accepted, and I'm going to go along with that belief, that this is the first day of the week. You know, we're supposed to be meeting together. We're supposed to be worshiping God. We're supposed to be holding each other accountable and holding each other faithful. We need to consider one another to stir up to love and to good works, not forsaking to assemble together, not forsaking um, our obligation to meet together, as is the habit of some. King James Version there would read, the manner of some is, the English Standard Version says, as the habit of some is. All the more as you see the day drawing near. We're to be encouraging one another. Now, this is not just talking about the worship service, although I do believe that that is a part of this, because that is a very important part of the Christian life is our worship to God upon the first day of the week, not just Sunday morning, but Sunday night, and also Wednesday night. You know, when the congregation meets together, when the elders of the congregation have decided that we are going to have these set times of Bible study, it is our responsibility as Christians to do everything we can to be there, especially upon the first day of the week when we're commanded to worship God. But it is our responsibility to be there for one another to be there to encourage one another, to be there to build one another up, to be there to strengthen ourselves. But not only that, but do we also think that we should be fulfilling the example of the early first century Christians in Acts chapter 2, how they were meeting together house to house and taking their bread with glad and generous hearts, how they were encouraging one another and staying strong in the apostles' doctrine and the breaking of bread and in prayers? That hospitality... Should we be encouraging one another just on Sundays and just on Wednesday evenings, or should we be encouraging one another all the time? We need to hold fast to the privileges of the gospel and hold fast to our faith, and that includes helping others to hold fast to their faith as well. But then not only just this exhortation here, but we also have a warning, and that comes in verse 26 down through verse 31. <clears throat> reading again from the English Standard Version, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God, who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, 
I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Pardon me, I just bumped my mic with my Bible. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Here is a warning to us. Why do we hold fast to our faith? Why do we um, hold fast to the privilege of drawing near to God? We quoted earlier Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, let us that we must more pay more careful attention to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away from them. The Hebrew writer tell us, tells us here that it is a privilege to draw near to God. We want to be drawing closer to Him, not drifting away from Him. But what happens if we do drift away from Him? You know, this is not... Um, some Calvinistic sense that, well, if we drift away and we fall away, then we really weren't saved to begin with anyway. Notice what the Hebrew writer says here. And if we are New Testament Christians, then we ought to believe Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. Do we believe that every single scripture is given by the inspiration of God, meaning that it is God-breathed, that God put into the hearts and minds of these men that wrote these scriptures, that they would write these things down? Do we believe that passage? We ought to. We'd better believe that passage. And since we believe that passage, and since that is the case, notice with me there, verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God, who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? Do we believe that God was mistaken by believing these individuals who have done this have been sanctified. God was mistaken when he believed that he had sanctified those individuals and they really weren't sanctified at all. When God said these individuals were sanctified, but they had done these things, when the Hebrew writer wrote those things down, he wrote them down because God told them, told him to write them down. These people were Christians, and they have turned their back on the Son of God. They've spurned him. They've counted the blood of the covenant wherewith they were sanctified to be an unholy thing, and they have done despite to the Spirit of grace. Why? Because they fell away. They have become, like Peter says, the true proverb, a dog returning to its vomit and the sow having been washed to her wallowing in the mire. If we go on sinning deliberately, there is no more sacrifice for sin. It's not like under the old law where the high priest just came in year after year because there's remembrance of sins. And he came in and he offered sacrifices year after year after year for the sins of the people. And those things were rolled forward. This is not some type of penance thing where we can prepay for our sins and we can just bring a sacrifice and everything is going to be okay. Jesus Christ died once on the cross and he ascended back up into heaven. He has accomplished the will of God. He has ascended back up into heaven, no more to die. 
ever making intercession for us. There is no longer a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment. There's no longer a sacrifice for sins, but rather what it is that if we do not give heed to these things and we do not obey these things, that there will be a fearful judgment to look forward to. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So how about it? Will we heed this warning? Do not go on sinning deliberately. Do not keep saying those words that we know that we shouldn't say. Do not keep watching those things that we know we shouldn't watch. Do not keep going where we know we should not go. Do not forsake the assemblies when we know that we should not forsake the assemblies. Do not gossip about one another. Do not... We can insert any number of things here. What type of people are we? Are we Christians? Have we been purchased by the blood of God? Well, then let's not profane the blood that sanctified us. Let us not outrage the spirit of grace. Let us not spurn the Son of God. But there is a word of encouragement on this as well. You know, here's what we should do. Here's why we should do it in the form of a warning. Like we need to... We need to be careful because this is possible that we can fall away. But then this third section here shows us that it is possible to not fall away. It is possible to not lose that salvation. Notice with me verse 32 down through the end of the chapter. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward." For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now next week, Lord willing, on Sunday morning, I'm going to be going into chapter 11. And there we see those who have faith and preserve their souls. Who are the those? I'm not going to go into chapter 11 here um, in this episode. We'll take that up next week as we talk about those. But, you know, you've got people like Abel. You've got Noah. You've got Abraham. You've got Moses. You've got Jacob. I mean, there's so many down through there. And even ones he said that time would fail me to tell about these. And the things that they suffered, they were sawn in two. They were tortured. They were burned. There was so much that they went through. But yet they remain faithful because they looked for a better place. And he finishes it out in chapter 12 with one final example. Looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God the author and perfecter of our faith. 
Abba, Father, Father, if indeed it may, let this cup of anguish pass from me, I pray. Yet if it must be suffered by me, thine only Son, Abba, Father, Father, let thy will be done. The words of the final verse to the song Night with Ebon Pinion. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Jesus Christ did the will of God, and he went to receive what is promised. He went to make sure that we receive what is promised as well. If it were not so, I would have told you, he tells us in John chapter 14, verse 1. So, recall the former days, he says, when you were after you were enlightened, enlightened, we see in John chapter 1, the uh, light that is coming into the world. And in First John chapter 1 and verse 7, if, conditional statement, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ's Son cleanses us from all sins. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, that light is the enlightenment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. After we were enlightened by the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says, you endured hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. You had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. These people joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. They were coming in. They were taking away their things. They were taking, they were sometimes putting them in prison. They were watching their family members being publicly exposed and their brothers and sisters in Christ to reproach and affliction. But they joyfully accepted all of those things because they knew they had a better possession. You know what? I can lose everything in this life. Why? Because I've got that up there. I can face the trials and struggles. I can face the temptations. I can face those things. Why? Because I've got that up there. I'm not worried about the things down here. I know that my treasure is up in heaven. So he says... Do not throw away your confidence. I have that underline in my Bible just like that. Each word, do not throw away your confidence. You know what the imagery here is? Man overboard. You've fallen down in the water. The ship is beginning to move past and the cry goes out, man overboard. And they throw that life ring out to you and you throw your arm through it. You pull, you pull it into you and you're clutching tightly to it as they draw you back to the ship. But then you let go. For whatever reason, you let go. And you decide, nope, nope, I'm done. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to hold on anymore. I'm just going to take my chances. Do not throw away your confidence, for it has great reward. You have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. He says, my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. 
But we're not of those who shrink back, are we? Are we? Are we of those who have shrunk back? Are we of those who, when we look back over our Christian lives, we see what we used to be like as a Christian? Maybe we've started slipping. Maybe we've started allowing some entertainment choices into our lives. Maybe we've started wearing some things that we shouldn't be wearing that's not necessarily modest. Maybe we're not quite so dedicated to the worship services as we should be. Maybe we've allowed anger into our lives and bitterness into our lives. Maybe we've been saying some things that we shouldn't say as Christians. Maybe we haven't been the best example. Are we those that have shrunk back? Let's not let that characterize us. That's not our character, is it? Is that who we are? I don't want it to be who I am. And I hope you don't want it to be who you are as well. We're those who have faith and preserve their souls. Those who have faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, Brother Mark Jameson put this perfectly one time at a uh, preacher's retreat that I was at. And he said, we are, we're running a race. And we're coming down to the finish line. And the fatigue has set in. And the soreness is there. And we're struggling to put one foot in front of another. But we round that corner and we see that grandstand. And in that grandstand is every single person who has ever meant anything to us in our lives. And they're on their feet. And they're waving their hands. And they're shouting, My name! What would that do to me? The fatigue is now gone. The soreness is forgotten. And I am running as hard and as fast as I can. I'm running to make it to that finish line. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... I'm going to take time this moment and just name off some names that we find here that are these great cloud of witnesses that are in that figurative grandstand for the final leg of our Christian race. Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, The people of Israel as they crossed the Red Sea. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. All these. There, that great cloud of witnesses standing there. Cheering us on. Can you shrink back with that? With so many standing there and and the things that these people have suffered. They're standing there cheering you on. They're on their feet. They're roaring. They're cheering your name. 
can you really look up to them and say, I can't. I just can't go any further. No. No, you can't. Lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. No, we can't give up. We cannot shrink back. We cannot be of those that shrink back and are destroyed. We are of those that keep the faith, who have faith, and preserve their souls. What is it that Isaiah said? That those who wait on the Lord shall mount up with wings as eagles? They shall walk and run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31 Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, he says. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have some amazing privileges as Christians. The Hebrew writer has spent 10 chapters now trying to convince his brothers and sisters in Christ, who most likely are Jewish Christians, not to leave Christianity and return to Judaism. This is better. There are better promises. There are better benefits. Christ is superior to anything that was under the law of Moses. You know, there is no more sacrifice for sins. God has given us everything. John chapter 3 and verse 16. Romans chapter 8. Will he not much more graciously give us all things? You know, under the old law, to redeem sin in the sense of the old law that redemption was there it really wasn't redemption it was rather just kind of pushing the the consequences of that sin forward and then we would um renew that each and every year all that cost was the blood of bulls and goats that's all that cost but do you know what full and complete redemption under the law of Christ under the new covenant cost Yeah, the blood of Jesus Christ. The greatest price to have ever been paid has already been paid. There is nothing further. If we shrink back now, there's nothing else. God's not going to say, well, the blood of Jesus, the blood of my son wasn't enough to get him, so let me try this. Nope. (laughs) God went all out. Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Herein is love. Herein is love. That Christ gave himself for us. He became the propitiation for our sins. That atoning sacrifice. There is nothing else. That the blood of Jesus Christ... And that great wealth that God poured upon us is not enough to keep us faithful. We're doomed. We are doomed. 
But that's not us, is it? We're not of those that shrink back. You're not one of those that shrink back. Am I right? I hope I am. I hope I am. But if I'm not, what's it going to take for you to pick your faith back up? What's it going to take for you to destroy all the idols that have come up in your life? What's it going to take for you to tear down all of those altars that you have sacrificed your faith upon and to come back to the fold of God? <clears throat> what is it going to be? Have we begun that race yet? Hearing the word of God, Romans ten seventeen, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And in me, believing that word, Hebrews 11 and verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him. For you who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. Then Jesus asked a question in Luke 13 verse 3, are those that the tower of Siloam fell on any more evil than these? I tell you no, but unless you repent you will all likewise perish. Then he says in Matthew 10 and verse 32, Whosoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. And then in answer to the question in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, Men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? Peter answers that question by saying, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We said earlier, First Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, Baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. Have we done those things? If not, then we are not a child of God. We have not been sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. What's it going to take for us to do that today? What's it going to take for us to give our life to him? To be redeemed, to be bought back, to be purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. To crucify the old man of sin. To bury him down in the watery grave of baptism. This is Romans 6, 3 and 4. And uh, really, most of the chapter of Romans chapter 6, you can bring this all the way down through verse 17. As Paul to the Romans brings this idea of death, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection in a likeness of Jesus Christ all the way down through from from through baptism to verse sixteen of excuse me to verse seventeen, he says, Thanks be to God that you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Have you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine? What's it going to take for you to do that today? Time is short. Time is, is running out. God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness. But he is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
lost sinner, this could be the moment that God is speaking to you through the word of Jesus Christ, through these scriptures that I have just quoted to you. This is your opportunity to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is your desert road to Gaza in Acts chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch. This is the opportunity. Don't spurn that opportunity. Study. Go back. Look at everything I've said. See if it's not the truth from the word of God. And obey it. Have faith coming from the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. But if you've done that, and you have shrunk back, it's okay. Just like the prodigal son, the father stands afar off, waiting with open arms to receive you back to himself. You don't have to be a servant in his household. You can be a son. You can be a child of God still. Just come back. Tear down those altars. Restore your faith. Hold fast to the privileges that have been given to us. Hold fast to that faith without wavering. Don't dismiss that warning that's given to us. Don't think that, oh, I can't fall. I'll never fall. Because we will. Bride goeth before the fall. Heed that word of encouragement that it is possible for us to stand strong. We are not of those that shrink back and are destroyed, but of those that have faith and preserve their souls. If I can do anything for you, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. If you have any questions, you have any comments, you would desire to study some of these things more, I am available and I am open to do so with you. However you need to do it, whether it be over the phone, whether it be through Facebook Messenger, or whether I need to find somebody local to you to sit down and open the scriptures with you, I'll do that. I'll do that. I don't mind finding somebody to help you if you want to do it in person. I don't mind doing what I need to do to help you. Thank you for joining the um, thank you for joining our podcast. I hope that this lesson has been a blessing to you. I look forward to being with you at the next episode. This is your host, Reed Brown. Thank you. Good night. Thanks for joining us today. May God's word shine through all bias and prejudice in the things we have discussed today. If you have any questions, please reach out by email at bowofbronze89 at gmail.com, subject, podcast question. Our prayer evermore, he must increase, I must decrease.